0: Well, welcome back to Work Minus, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work and quick pivots that you can make today to get closer to the future of work. Today, our guest is Chris Reimer. He's the author of Happy Work, and this episode is Work Minus Crappy Work. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm very excited. I loved your book. It gives a lot of details and a lot of exciting things to think through, so I'm excited to ask you some questions. But first, why don't you give us some background about who you are, both your work experience and you as an author?
1: At first, thanks for the kind words about the book. I always appreciate that. Uh, so, uh, born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, went to Marquette University a long time ago, early 90s, we'll put it that way. And I got my degree in accounting, and I became a CPA. And so, I was a CPA for basically 15 years until I decided that That probably wasn't going to be, you know, the direction I wanted my life to go. It's kind of a weird conversation to have with your wife at age 39, you know, that you want to change careers. (laughs) And of all things, I wanted to go into into marketing, which is, uh, you know, kind of an odd change for a CPA to make. But it was something that I was very passionate about. Uh, Long story short, I learned a lot about marketing by trying to gain some visibility and awareness for a T-shirt company that I used to have called Rizzo Tees. And so. I just took to marketing like fish to water and especially Twitter, but then beyond that, Facebook blogging, video production, all along the way noticing how I had felt at each one of my jobs, both the good ones and the bad ones, and just kind of gained an interest in workplace culture, and workplace happiness, and wanting to find ways to actually be able to shape that at the places where I was at. And as a CPA, it's kind of a weird thing to bring up. In marketing, it's a little bit more of a natural fit. You know, you want to be able to market the organization, have people want to work there, want to be able to buy the products. So, I decided that there was a message that I had to get out, and that was the kind of the genesis of the book. Uh, right now, I am associate director of new media at Maryville University in St. Louis, and so here I manage all of our video production and our social media output. And as a side gig, I just started a company called Busa Tech which uh, is uh, manufacturing and selling power banks, portable phone chargers. So as I am constantly running around burning two phones down to near <laughs> 0% every day, one business, and I'm one of those total nerds that has two phones, but I'm, it actually is really works for me. Uh, burning phones down to like 1% each and every day, it seemed like a natural business to get into. And so I actually just launched that last week, so... Brand new, got a bunch of inventory at home. It's kind of fun and scary at the same time. (laughs) Uh, But I'm I'm excited about it.
0: So, getting out of the CPA role, you've really jumped into this next phase full term. I mean, you have all sorts of new businesses going on. You're working at a university doing marketing. That's a big jump. Definitely.
1: Uh, You know, it's kind of fun to be able to come in and do marketing, but also kind of have the financial sensibility that, no offense to my marketing brothers, a, a lot of marketing people don't always have that. Financial sensibilities. So, I kind of come at it from a left brain and a right brain point of view. So, I've been told that's kind of unique. Um, I definitely am better at this than I ever was at being a CPA. Uh, You know, I passed the CPA exam, it's one of the hardest professional tests out there. it's like a nightmare. I still—that is still like my recurring nightmare that I'll have—is <laughs> that they lost the results of the CPA exam when clearly, and I would have to retake it. Oh no! It, it clearly means nothing anymore because like, the only thing I touch uh, is our checkbook and our taxes when it comes to accounting. Like I—I I, I shake when I receive a spreadsheet, you know, at work. I don't. That's my old life. But uh, yeah, it's this is something that I'm just more passionate about telling stories. Trying to change people's opinions about wherever it is I'm working or whatever project I'm working on—it's just something that it gets me up in the morning.
0: Great. Well, let's get to your book. You painted one of the worst pictures of a company I've ever read about, for sure. Very explicit examples of of how this this fake company—it's a business parable—and uh, how this business company has really declined into the the worst parts of work. I got to ask: all that's fictitious, right? You've never experienced anything like that before
1: so i want to tell all of your listeners that i'm actually one of the lucky ones i have never worked at a place exactly like what you're going to experience in happy work the name of my fictitious company is uh the if anyone's wondering how i came up with that uh it was a random name generator and then i checked it against seo and there weren't a lot of results i'm like hey i can own this so um but it is kind of a combination of a lot of things that have happened to me at different jobs and I mean you're correct to note that it seems like a very horrible place to work I was attempting to put the reader as a potential employee into you know the seventh circle of hell and so I really wanted to make it as bad as it can be out there there are companies like this even though you might not want to believe it so but a lot of the stories that are in the book do Uh, come from personal experiences with names changed. I also, though, when I ran out of ideas, I actually went to Facebook and talked to my friends. So right in the middle of writing the book, I'm asking them, share with me some of your worst work experiences. And I have to tell you, real life trumped my imagination almost every single Mm, time. Wow! Because you're sitting here as an author, you know, and I'm not like a writer by heart. I mean, I just told you I was a CPA. It's like, the opposite of being a writer and good at English and all that stuff. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how can I, but I've been at these places, but what was it like? What happened to me? Uh, okay. I'm out of ideas. What, what, like what can happen next to someone? And then someone would post on Facebook and I would just be like, no way. Yes. That's going in the book with your permission, of course. And they'd say, please change the names, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I would do that. So, yeah, real life trumped my imagination every time. And that actually is a little scary to me, that I was having trouble dreaming up the worst. And yet it was actually happening to friends that I had.
0: Wow. Well, I do appreciate you mentioning the name change because the one of the key villains is named Neil, my name. So I appreciate you making that clear that it's not anyone real, right?
1: Neil, I don't want you to take this personally, but you know, <laughs> and I've never seen you, so I don't want to get too personal here, but I will say that. When I was coming up with my CPA character, and you know, I don't want to ruin it for any of uh, your listeners. If you happen to buy my book, uh, available at bookstores everywhere, of course, he's not the best CPA. <laughs> even I, even I was better than him. And I tried to create someone. I tried to paint a picture of a kind of lazy, uh, slovenly uh, character. And then I thought, well, what's this guy's name going to be? Mm. And You know, I just think I'm going to stop talking now.
0: (laughs) No, It fits. It's perfect.
1: Neil, I'm sure you're a picture of health and nothing like the Neil in in my book. Please. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Well, a lot of the book you talk about, especially in the the early parts, talk about stress, talk about how bad stress is in in a work environment. Why is stress such a big cause of of a crappy work experience?
1: So... One thing that I've taken away from a lot of the experiences I've had that have been stressful and I'm sure your listeners can be, you know, can to, can relate to this is how actually out of control you feel when you're upset. And uh, <laughs> one place this happens unfortunately more than any is when, you know, I'm doing something or dealing with my kids. You know, you can get really really upset and it's like these are your children. And you absolutely love them to death, but like I am like i'm almost like i've almost lost my faculties i'm almost out of control just because i'm so upset and it's very difficult you know and then that's that is the that's the perfect time when someone comes in and tells you to relax which is the last thing that would ever work in that situation right you can't tell someone to relax when they literally cannot settle themselves so the thing with stress, and it's actually a chapter title, work as a, I think I called it work as a cortisol nightmare. So cortisol is known as the stress hormone and in various situations that can be released into your body and has all sorts of, uh, deleterious effects to your health. For women, it's actually very, very much not good for their pregnancies, which seems like a nightmare since we should all want everyone to have healthy babies so they can grow to the next generation of great people, um, and, and for everyone else, you know, it's a matter of uh, just having all sorts of really unfortunate health effects. My understanding is that, you know, these these hormones are getting released, you know, in sort of, um, like I said, stressful situations, fight or flight situations. I mean, this is in our biological coding. This is coming from the time when, you know, we were having to fight off bears for survival and stuff like that. The bears aren't an issue anymore. Now we're going to work and we're actually, our workmates can often present the threat to us, the threat to our livelihood, the threat to our sense of significance, our ability to make a contribution to society, which is important whether you realize it or not. So it's not that work is always going to be easy. So I get this question a lot, you know, oh, you just want, you know, unicorn rainbows and utopia and stuff like that. It's like, no, I I understand that there's going to be struggles sometimes. There's a store that will be unperforming or they'll... You'll hire the wrong person, and it's just not a great culture fit. These things happen. Challenges will always come up. It's a matter of being able to band together and live based on a series of ideals that will let you get through these difficult situations with a minimum of unnecessary stress.
0: Let me pick up on the term you use, culture fit. Um, in terms of happiness at work, do you feel like there's different definitions of happiness for different organizations? So you might, you might fit in one place, but not in another, even though the happiness is, is there for both.
1: That's a really great question, and I'm not even sure I have ever been asked that before.
0: Um, Well, What's interesting is I think
1: Simon Sinek talks about this in some of the various gigantic TED Talks that he's done. Basically, the idea that you can take someone who is like a model citizen when it comes to work and put them into a very, very unfortunate work situation. And more often than not, their behavior will devolve into – crappy work. It will turn into that which they are surrounded by. And conversely, you can take someone who perhaps has been a work bad apple of sorts, and you can bring them into a very positive work environment with a great culture, a mission that's clear, people who are decent and yet you know will hold you to uh, a standard and will force accountability upon everyone. And that, that bad apple will turn into something not so bad. And so it's, uh, to me, that's just very telling. And I've I've felt that as well. You know, I'm working now at Maryville University, uh, probably doing some of the, I mean, this is the happiest I've ever been at work, to be honest, Uh, probably doing some of my best work. The job I had right before this, I was pretty much the same person, minus a few years of experience. And I'm using many of the same ideas here. And definitely the same philosophy on communication and social media and human interaction online and such. It completely did not work there. And it was like a cult that I wasn't a member of. Hmm. And then you come to Maryville, here, it's completely different. So there are definitely different kinds of culture that different people will thrive in. You know, when I think back to the last job, I'm not totally sure. Who thrives there? Except perhaps the cultists who, you know, drink the proverbial Kool Aid. It's so. Your question's a good one. I think that you can have definitely different types of people are going to fit in certain situations. I mean, you're not going to find me at a very large organization, or you know, one that there's going to be, you know, just countless hours of work, uh, like a startup environment or anything like that. It's I figured out pretty quickly that that sort of thing was not for me. So everyone will have a certain type of job that they will probably thrive in the challenge or potential tragedy of it is will they find it in time yeah you know will they will will they know what they're looking for will they have the upward or even sideways mobility to go and get that job the confidence to to leave a job that's comfortable but maybe offering them nothing in the form of workplace fulfillment or happiness so yeah it's um and the thing is, too, if I don't get a chance to say this, I'll say it now. You know, as human beings, we our, our work means more to us, I think, than we realize. We think that mostly it's about having a family and having great friends and having some hobbies that are, you know, fulfilling or something that we enjoy. The fourth bucket of time, which is work, is the one that so many people, especially Americans, just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, it's work. This is what do you expect? It's just a job, you know. But we can have the same high standards that we place on those first three buckets, family, friend, and personal pursuits. We can apply the same high standard to work and not put up with this anymore not, and, and have the courage to go and find something new or have the courage to stand up for what you believe at your place of work. So when you model the behavior that you want to see others uh, you know, displaying, pretty soon it'll start to happen. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it leads me to my next question, which you know we're talking about the future of work a lot, which often brings in this whole AI revolution that's coming in. We're looking at an age when you don't have CPAs anymore because that's all automated. That we figured out how to program that. We you don't have a warehouse team anymore because that's all done by robots. Where does that fit into this this idea of, of finding fulfillment with work if work maybe isn't there for a lot of people? I think that
1: this type of questions kind of projects the notion that there are going to be less jobs in the future. And I'm not sure that that's so. You know, there there have been, here in the United States, productivity is at an all-time high, which means that companies are as optimally staffed as they've ever been, which should mean, I mean, not to mention, I mean, perhaps there's more economic production than there's ever been, but... There are a lot of jobs that really don't exist anymore. There are a lot of factory jobs that, that I mean, like fact run by twenty percent of the people that they used to, and yet unemployment is actually incredibly low right now. So there's a possibility that the type of jobs that are going to be important in the future don't really exist yet. I, I, for one, am not really keen on the idea of a robot of stories. Which is kind of what I do, do exist. I think the Associated Press uses some kind of uh, technology in order to create stories. And some of them are readable, if not perhaps a little bit lacking interest, but they're readable. Uh, And perhaps I'm not going to have a human CPA in the future. But what we don't have enough of right now are cybersecurity people. I mean, if you watch the news, you can know everything you need to know about that. So cybersecurity people and coders. So there are a lot of jobs that are going if to, you, if, you're, if you're a truck driver today and you're not going to be a truck driver in 10 years, there's an extreme possibility there's going to be another kind of job that with some training you're going to be able to do. So I think that there's still plenty of opportunity in the future to find work that we will be happy doing and that will feel fulfilled when
0: we do it. So do you feel like the pursuit of of happy work becomes even more important as we switch these roles and switch these jobs? Or does it become like it's just going to become standard and it'll just always be there?
1: I would say not more important than it is right now. Uh, I think that and it's, it's kind of an aside from happy work or crappy work, but people, I think, probably are going to kind of have to strap in and accept and brace for the change and realize that. You know, if you're if you're driving, you know, an eighteen wheeler right now, it, that job it's possible that job won't be there in the future. You know, and as another huge aside, what people are going to have to get used to are, is the notion that, you know, instead of a five percent chance of you know being in a fatal car accident caused by another human who's making choices behind the wheel, you might have a 005 percent chance of getting killed by a computer and the fun thing the fun thing that we're going to have to deal with is like which is better <laughs> the lower number or the one where we all feel like we're in control you know if there's if nobody caused the fatal accident like how are we supposed to feel about that so i think there's a lot more that we're going to have to deal with as technology sort of as we superimpose technology over everything that we do there's a lot more that we're going to have to worry about like morally and decision wise, then like, how can we be happy at work? I, I would say that though, like over the last 50 years, we've definitely kind of woken up to the idea that, Hey, work doesn't have to be like a slog. It doesn't have to be always boring or working on just working on the Henry Ford assembly line as it were, you
0: know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But a lot of people out there listening are part of good companies, you know, ones that have been around for a while or their their teams are are, well-functioning they're going through. But a lot of times you don't realize when you're on that slope down towards crappy work away from happy work. So give us a couple of early indicators that might show that people are on the way that you should watch out for.
1: The first thing I would say, honestly, is that if you have good in- instincts is to trust them. So the one place where this is going to be a struggle for certain people is that, you know, depending on where you're at in the company, you're not going to have like a global picture of what's happening at the company. Um, It's funny. I've always looked at folks who, like, they're really curious and want to know what's going on all around the company. I've always looked at that kind of curiously, like, what does it have to do with what you do? But probably what people are trying to do is they're seeking patterns, trying to understand, uh, you know, humans are pattern-seeking animals. And so we want to know, we're trying to suss out what's going on around us and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And it's part of our, it's honestly probably part of our survival instinct actually come to work. If there was... If there was a place that you could start you know and if you read my book you'll you'll read you know you'll read some things that i say like money does not buy happiness which is super cliche at this point but i kind of go into it in depth and i believe it but i will say man one place you could look first is like if performance is slipping because you know when they say in sports winning cures all it it's true. Like, if a team is winning and you're completely undefeated and you've got a 10 game winning streak or whatever, man, there's a lot of problems that are getting swept under the rug, like knowingly or unknowingly, not a big deal. When you're losing, like, people start getting in each other's throats a little bit. So, if a company starts to, if performance starts to slip and layoffs begin to happen due to either, you know, true structural changes or just trying to hit quarterly numbers. Not only are you going to see those numbers change, but you're going to see people change. It's a rare occasion when the numbers start to slip and human civility doesn't start to slip at the very same time or you know, near to it. So I would say definitely that money, believe it or not, is a decent indicator of what a company's future might hold. Um, you know, Beyond that, I talk about teamwork, profit, and purpose. I think also... People at work have never to this point, I don't think, spent enough time trying to understand what the purpose is of what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like this super famous line in Caddyshack, you know, and they're walking down the the um the fairway and uh the judge says, Judge Smale says, you know, the world needs ditch diggers too. You know, I can't I can't make a case for why it's fun to be a ditch digger, but the greater <laughs> point is to think an interesting place is actually um Baristas. Uh, I used to work at a coffee company and it was funny how these baristas so many of them they I, you could tell they didn't want to do it anymore. And I think it was because perhaps they didn't get paid very much, but I always looked at their work as an art form. You know, especially if you order a latte and they make the little art on top. Right. Even even if I wasn't going to do it full time, like the way I would look at my job as a barista is one of being an artist and two, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm drinking coffee 365 days a year. Like there is not a day that I don't drink coffee. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like I'd melt into a puddle of goo, you know. <laughs> so it's really important to me to have my coffee. And so now, whoever's giving me the coffee is important to me. There's a way for most people to find purpose in their jobs. If you're at a place and you're having trouble finding any purpose whatsoever, it could be time to, you know massage the LinkedIn profile a little bit. And then obviously too, teamwork is really important. And it can be it can be pretty clear if you just kind of keep your antennas up as to whether you're working on a good team, an average team or a crappy team.
0: Great. Well, Chris, why don't you wrap up this show for us by telling us a little bit about what it means to live in a, a world of work minus crappy work. What, what does that mean for you? Paint us that picture.
1: Yeah, for me... Uh, going to work in the morning because you want to, you know, and I'm kind of this like entrepreneur on the side, you know, maybe someday I'll be a full-time entrepreneur, but right now I work for someone and I've worked for someone pretty much all my life. I can tell when it's going well, because I want, I, I want to get up and I want to get to work and I want to accomplish something. But more importantly than that, And uh, Bob Chapman talks about uh, this in his book, Everybody Matters, really important. He'd be a fun guest to have as well. Um, And he actually corrects me when I say this. My definition of it was, I want to be able to have just enough gas left in the tank, you know, to be able to go home and be a good father, you know, know, just be a good spouse and just be a good person. I don't want to be running on empty. You know, and he actually corrects me and says, "You know, I want you going home energized." I'm like, "Okay, Bob, you're, you're <laughs> definitely drinking more coffee than me, you know, on this issue." But, you know, for me, I didn't want to be, you know, beggars can't be choosy. I just want something left in the tank. And I've had jobs where there's nothing left in the tank, and I go home, and I'm kind of a not nice person to the people I love. This is not okay. So at that point, I take stock in the fact that I am experiencing crappy work, and I need to minus that out of my life. And, and it, I feel so fortunate, like I'm at this point, uh, take this with a grain of salt. I'm really good at looking for jobs and I'm good at getting, I'm good at getting them. Now I've been at Maryville for over three years. I plan on staying here for a long time.
0: In case they're listening. right?
1: Oh, of course. I love what I do. And I, every single day now, especially after having written a book called happy work, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking stock in that each and every day. And I'm realizing that I can go home at night and I've still got plenty left in the tank, you know, to be a good person in my family.
0: That's great. It's a great summary of what you've been talking about. The book is wonderful. Happy work. Check it out. Um, buy it anywhere they sell books. Uh, what else? What else can you tell us, Chris? How can you leave us? Where can we be in touch with you?
1: Yeah, thanks for uh, again for having me on the show. So. My book is most definitely available on Amazon. So search happy work. It's one word uh, together, happy and work pushed together. So it's one word. Uh, the new company I've started is called Tech. So it's B-O-O-S-A-T-E-C-H.com. Uh, I'm shipping power banks here in the United States. I would love for your listeners to go and check that out. And then if you want to talk to me on Twitter, I'm at Chris Reimer.
0: Well, thanks, Chris. It's been great to have you on the show, and we appreciate what you've done for us. Thanks a lot.
1: You know, thanks again.